0: Hi, good morning, Metalark. If you're a, if you're visiting with us, uh, just want to let you know. I, I pray that you'll come back. I uh, pray that you'd you'd feel at home here. That you'd be part of our family. Um, here, it's um, that song just shook me. Um, it's it's probably my favorite song that we sing, um, especially after this morning. I, I this morning I, I I got up and I had this opportunity to. Uh, to work with somebody that needed some help and to, to pray with her and, and just talk to her about where uh, God is leading her life. And I was just thinking about this song, You're the Lifter of My Head. And I just, I pray that this morning, uh, for both for those who are visiting and those that just, you're part of the family anyway, I, I pray that this won't ever be um, simply an experience where we come and have church um, But beyond that, uh, where together we collectively recognize God's presence, uh, that even though he's with us all the time, um, that I don't need to invoke his presence because he's here, he's with me, right? But at the same time, in a very real sense, coming and sitting at his feet, recognizing um, his lordship and recognizing his love and allowing him to lift up our heads and hear his voice. And so I pray um, that I would be completely... Uh, invisible, if, if I can be, and that we would just glean something from 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 um, that God wants us to hear. We are 13 messages deep into this book right now, and uh, these chapters on giving were chapters that I kind of dreaded coming to because they're sort of per- a parenthesis in the middle of the book, and we've already spent quite a bit of time this year talking about giving, um, but I don't know that any two chapters in Second in Corinthians have inspired me as much as the message that's at the heart of these chapters. And so I pray that um, God would speak to us this morning and, and uh, let's just go before him in prayer. Um, my Father, I, I, uh, I pray that you'd convict our hearts, uh, that you'd lift up our heads, that we would see you, uh, that we would keep walking forward in our faith. Uh, God, that we would inspire others and we'd allow them to inspire us. And just as a body that we would not grow stagnant, that not one of us, that we would keep carrying each other and pushing each other and motivating each other. God, I just want to make you smile while we're on this earth. This is such a short journey. And while we're here, I just pray, God, that we won't grow lazy. I pray, God, that we would just run this race with endurance, with everything that's in us. I pray that you would pick us up when we fall. And I pray right now that you'd speak to us uh, through your word. It's in Christ to come before you. Amen. Um, I think it's important because we've gotten into the book quite a bit. Uh, I wanted to start out by doing an overview of where we're at and what is happening. Um, this is one of my favorite things to do for my own study in the Bible, is to step back and say, what is going on? Um, We aren't simply in a couple of chapters about giving. We're in a couple of chapters about giving to a very, very specific and central purpose in the New Testament. So I want to talk a little bit about that. Before I get to some of that, uh, obviously this is a map you grew up with. You've seen this all of your life. You know, this is the Mediterranean Sea and the land that surrounds it. What's happening in the New Testament? I just want a little talk about this. Paul has two central missions, to carry the gospel west and to carry funds back east. And so you're going to see Paul pushing the gospel from Judea into Samaria to the ends of the earth, right? As far and eventually he wants to go to Rome, even to Spain if he can. This is Paul's mission with the gospel. But at the same time, everywhere he goes, he, he's looking for this collection to bring back home. And I want to talk about why and why that was such a serious need. This is the Old Testament. This is the geography of the Old Testament. This is This is what we're looking at. Most of the Old Testament, uh, obviously the first five books or so, coming from Sinai, the law that's given down around Sinai. um, Most of the prophets dealt with Jerusalem, Isaiah, Jeremiah. uh, Joel and Amos dealt with the northern kingdom, with Samaria. Um, You have Ezekiel and Daniel, more dealing with Babylon. You have Jonah, um, Nahum that dealt with Nineveh. But the Old Testament is surrounded around this region, written in this region, written for this region, primarily surrounding Jerusalem, okay? Boring detail. This is the New Testament, way over here. Everything in the New Testament is way out east. Um, Paul wrote to seven churches, just like John wrote to seven churches uh, in the book of Revelation. But everything is Colossae, Galatia, Ephesus, Crete is where he writes um, um, Titus is left on Crete. Uh, Corinth, Thessalonica, Philippi, and, and, and Rome. Everything is out east in the New Testament. And here's the big question that I had when I looked at this. I said, wait a second. What happened here? Why don't we have a letter addressed to the church in Jerusalem? Isn't that the obvious one? Isn't this the one you would be talking about? We don't know a thing about the church in Jerusalem. How is that possible? I want to talk to you a little bit about why that is. In fact, you don't have any letters written to any churches anywhere in Israel. And we're going to talk about Peter and James and John here in just a second. I know we're looking at Paul's letters. But this is really curious to me why the Old Testament is here and why the New Testament is there. I want to talk a little bit about why. Um, In John 9.22, it says this. The Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. Even while Jesus was with the Jews in Jerusalem and in Israel, the Jews had made a decision. Anyone who acknowledges this man is the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. I want to talk about what that means. The synagogue was not simply, I'm sorry, you can't come to church here on Saturday. The synagogue was the center of life. It was everything. You, When you had needs, they would, they would go out and they would supply your needs. This was a place where you had contacts, where you had help, where you had support. It was the center of a community. To be put out of the synagogue was to be put in a place where you would not find work. Christians could not buy or sell in Jerusalem or in Israel. They had a hard time finding work. They were persecuted. Entire cities, Josephus writes about this, entire cities of Christians were wiped out. They were killed. They were slaughtered. The persecution that you see in the New Testament, especially in the book of Acts, is not coming from Nero. It's not coming from Rome. In fact, all of the persecution in the New Testament is coming from one central source, the Jews. This is what's happening in this internal conflict that's going on in Israel. It says this in Acts chapter 8. This is after the stoning of Stephen. It says this, On that day a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. That's why when James and Peter open their letters, look, this is Paul writing over here. When James and Peter open their letters to the Jews, this is how both of them start their letters. James, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Peter, to God's elect, strangers in the world scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Even they are writing to these Christians that have been scattered. And so the reason you're not getting letters to the church in Jerusalem is there was no real, they, weren't, they didn't have a, a building on the street corner where they, hey, come here on Sunday. It didn't work that way. They are in a dire situation, and it's crazy to me. Beautiful, totally different message. Why Peter, the one that 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 left Christ that said, man, I don't even know who this man is, because he was scared of his own security. He is the one that's left in Jerusalem. A place that is full of persecution. And the Christians in, in Jerusalem and in Judea, those that are left, they can't find work. They're struggling to live. They're struggling to find a life. They are destitute in Jerusalem. Now the gospel goes out from them and it's going west. And these churches, these Gentiles, man, they're celebrating what God is doing in their life. And Paul is saying this. I want you to know something. The people who, who laid down their lives to bring the gospel to you are hurting and they are dying back in Jerusalem. And so this collection for the saints, whenever you hear this, because it's all over the New Testament. In fact, by the way, crazy fact, this is actually part of how scholars date the books of the New Testament, is looking at the collection of the saints, what's taking place in Rome, what's taking place in Corinth. Uh, It actually says in Romans 15, Now, however, I'm on my way to Jerusalem uh, in the service of the saints there for Macedonia and Achaia, we're pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Now when you hear Macedonia and Achaia, sorry for all of this like geography right now, we're going to get out of it. Macedonia is up this region up here. I've always wanted to use that light. Um, is this region up here, Philippi and Thessalonica. So I want you to know you're aware of the Macedonians. This is Philippi and Thessalonica. This is what's up north. Achaia is Corinth. This is all Achaia right here. And so these are the two regions he's talking about. So when he writes Romans, he's already saying this was successful. This mission was successful and the Macedonians and the Achaeans, they've made this amazing contribution and I'm bringing it back for the saints. But what I want you to hear from the beginning of this message to the end is this is not simply, hey, this is a Christian discipline to give. So I want you to give. And I have this collection that we're going to... No, this is people hurting and dying and suffering in a very, very real need he put before these people and filled with love. The Thessalonians, the the people up in, in Macedonia and Achaia, filled with love, they poured out and they sacrificed, not from their wealth, and he makes that clear in here. They sacrificed from their poverty. Even when they were hurting, even when they themselves were suffering, they offered up, we're going to help the saints. We're going to do everything we can for these people. And I think that's true in our giving today. I think it's very difficult for anyone to get excited, to even empathize with these verses at all that are talking about, man, developing a fervor and excelling in this grace of giving. It's hard to do that if it's about giving. Giving. What what it's about is giving towards a purpose, not simply giving, but finding purpose, finding something you're passionate about and saying, this is what we're getting behind, and my heart is in this, and I'm willing to make sacrifices for it. So with that said, I want to get into our text, um, uh, beginning in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, Uh, and, and there's a lot to cover in these two chapters, but there's just select sections that I want to focus on. And talk about why this meant so much to me this week, personally. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given to the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Um, A lot of historians from the time period talk about the poverty of the Macedonians. This was a particularly poor area. And Paul writes about their own persecution and their own poverty. And have you ever witnessed this? Someone who has nothing, and Jesus made a point out of it with the widow's mind, but somebody who has nothing, and they're not exceptionally wealthy, but they have such an incredibly generous spirit. All of us have witnessed that. The question is, why? What is going on? What's going on is I identify with this. I see what's happening in your life. Working down at the park with the homeless ministry, you see people that have nothing and they're willing to take off their shoes and give them to somebody else because they know what this is like and they'll sacrifice whatever because I'm feeling your pain. I'm here with you. And I think that's what's happening in Macedonia when they make this collection. And it says this, And then to us, I want to talk about what I think that phrase means, uh, in keeping with God's will. What he's doing is he's opening up by comparing them to the Macedonians. That made me super uncomfortable. When I read through these chapters, especially into the next chapter, he keeps comparing them. In fact, he's going to say that in verse 7. I'm comparing you. Now, that's crazy in a book where in chapter 10, he's going to say, stop comparing yourselves with other people. And in the same book, he's going to compare them to somebody else. This is It's strange what's happening here, but he's doing it in a healthy way. There are two ways to compare yourself to somebody. And we know this from Facebook. You know this from all kinds of things. You can either be inspired by them or you can be discouraged by them. You could look on Facebook and you can say, wow, your life is all together. I hate myself. Or you can look on Facebook and say, wow, your life's together. You're inspiring me. I love what you're doing. I'm watching the World Cup right now. Um, once every four years, man, I, I can't help it, man. I'm passionate about the World Cup. Uruguay is my team right now. Okay, I'm pulling for these guys. But when you're watching this, man, I can't help it, man. I'm in my 40s and I still want to grab a soccer ball and go outside. I I still want to go outside. I still want to go do something. I get excited, man. I go, I'm driving home from church. I see somebody running down the road. I'm like, man, look at them out exercising. I'm going to go exercise. And by the time I get to the end of my block, I'm done. And I live on a cul-de-sac. But I got out and ran. You know, you see something and instead of getting discouraged by it, you're like, I see somebody else doing it. And I think the most amazing example of that is when Peter is in the boat with the disciples. And it's the greatest illustration. He's in the boat with his disciples, uh, Jesus' disciples, and he sees Jesus walking on water. And he does the most unnatural thing, which Peter's known for doing. He he does the most unnatural thing, and he says, If it's you, Lord, call me out to you. Let me walk on water with you. And when we talk about that story throughout our life, what we have heard is he stepped out of the boat, he walked on water, then he took his eyes off Jesus and he saw the wind, he saw the waves and he began to sink. And Jesus says, oh, you have little faith. And he pulls him up and he carries him back in. And we say, man, he took his eyes off Jesus. And I think that that's a solid message. But let me ask you this. If this morning I was standing up here and you this was water. And you saw me get off stage and walk on water. And then I sank. Would you go home and tell everybody you saw the preacher sink? You saw me walk on water. Peter's the only man that's not Jesus that walked on water. He's the only one. And and that's the thing in our faith. And the reason I'm going to talk about what I mean by this is what happens is, I'm going to use an illustration from Brad's older brother. Um, We get out, you step out in faith, you're excited about your life in Christ, and you fail. And you mess up, and you sin, and you can't do it. You can't keep your New Year's resolution, so why make it? You can't walk on water, so why step out of the boat? You can't keep going, so why try? I failed too many times, so I'm done with this. And I don't know how many people, even in this room, have come to me and said, man, I'm so sorry, man. I stepped out of faith. I was zealous. I was trying, and I couldn't do it. I couldn't. I, I fell again, and I'm stuck, and all I'm doing is playing video games, and all I'm doing is, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not doing it anymore. I guess I failed. Brad's older brother, one time, we were at the Missions Museum in Tulsa. It's not there anymore, but it was an amazing experience. But what you did is you walked through this museum, and Rachel's backpack is on the wall full of scriptures. Young girl that lost her life in the Columbine shooting. And you walk, in, the next thing you see is Manchiah's spear. The spear that killed Nate Saint and Elliot, the Elliots, and everything. That's on the wall, too. And you walk through this history, and you saw all of this stuff, and you saw Scripture, and you learned about the people that gave their lives, just to put the Bible in my hand. You learned about the people that gave their lives for all of this stuff, and you're inspired. And then you get to the end of the... Oh, I'm going to slow down. I'm sorry, Corey. How are you doing? Good. Um... <laughs> You get to the end of the museum, and there's this brown room full of tiny little brown crosses, and it talks about all the Christians still today, they're losing their life for their faith. And you grab one for yourself, and you walk out in this massive, beautiful garden, and every single station throughout this garden had a country's flag on it, the history of the church in that country. And a place for you to pray for that country. Brad and I walked out together. I don't know if you remember this. Um, We walked out together. We saw this man on his knees praying. And he would go from station to station. And Brad didn't know who it was. And Brad just goes, I want that kind of faith, man. Look at that guy. I said, that's your brother, man. And I remember the coming weeks, how impacted he was. And he would go to church and he would say, I'm done criticizing people. I'm done talking about what other people are doing. I'm looking at me now. And he would go out and after church, he'd pull somebody aside and he'd pray over them, pray for their life. We're talking about a teenager doing this, going around to different people and saying, I just want to lift you up in prayer. What can I do for you? Talking about fasting, talking about prayer, talking about making my life next level. That young man came to me just a few weeks later, and he said, I tried so hard, and I couldn't keep it up. I couldn't keep it up, and just feeling like you've failed. And I told him, man, I saw you walk on water. I saw you walk on water. And that's what I want to see in each other's life. I want to talk about what this means to the Macedonians and to the Achaeans. He's saying this. I want you to lift your eyes up and look at what your brothers are doing. And I want you to be inspired by it. And I want you to move. And when you fall, look at them. And when they fall, let them look at you. That's the next chapter because they're going to be looking back at Achaea. I want you to see each other. Comparison only leads to pride Or to shame. But inspiration fuels joy and enthusiasm. It fuels you. And I have a choice when I see somebody's life that's doing good. I can be full of pride and say, well, I guess I'm not them. Or I can say, well, I guess I'm better than them. Or I can look at them and I could say, my God, thank you. I was carrying this load, and when I'm weak, and let me tell you how much this means to me personally, as Jeff, when I'm weak and I'm just not doing well, and I look up and I see somebody running the race with everything they've got, I cannot tell you what a relief that is to me. To look down and say, my God, thank you that your spirit is at work. That you don't need me strong all the time. That somehow you can manage without me. Getting that feeling and looking up and seeing God's work in the church is so, so powerful. He goes on and he says this in verse 6. Um, so we urge Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring to, um, also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us... See that you also excel in this grace of giving. Um, I think this is an incredible verse just to use in your own walk in the Lord, in your own walk in Christ. I think a lot of times we we just feel like we we hit a rut. We grow stagnant and you're like, God, what's next for me? How do I grow? How do I go deeper? How do I move forward? And it's looking at this man excelling in knowledge. Man, I'm going to study. I want to get in this book. And then when I feel like I'm burned out there, it's turning over and it's saying, I'm going to excel in my faith and my trust. I'm going to excel in speech and how I share the gospel. And and, in Philemon, um, Paul writes this he says, your love has given me great joy and encouragement, brother, because you have refreshed the heart of the saints. And then he tells him this. He says, I want you to share your faith with others so that you may have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ, growing in your own faith because of the way you excel in speech, sharing the gospel in knowledge, complete earnestness and love, growing in all these areas, and then saying this. Now I want you to lift up your eyes. And excel in this grace of giving. I want you to excel in this area too. And not looking at my life and saying, man, when I get there, when I get to the point um, that maybe I have the financial means that I can meet these needs. or do That is not at all the way giving is spoken of in the Bible, ever. In fact, let me give you a crazy fact. And I'm not making any point. Don't read too much into what I'm saying. But here's a crazy fact. Did you know budgets are never spoken of in Scripture? Did you know that when Paul went from place to place, not once did he say, We have a collection, this is our goal. He never once put a thermometer in front of anybody, he didn't do that. Why? That's not what it was about for Paul, it was about the heart. It was about, I want you to be so in love with your God that you look up and you say, I see this seed you've put in my hand, whatever this is, my talents, my gifts, my money, whatever it is. And I see it as something that I'm sowing. Now, the gospel that you're going to hear today, largely in America, is the seed God has put in my hand. I sow so that God would put more seed in my hand. And that the more I give, the more I get. That's called, we use terms like the health and wealth gospel or things like that. There's something similar going on in scripture, but it's not that. It's this. I'm giving you seed to sow. And when you sow it, I'm going to fill your harvest of righteousness. And that's where this text is going in the next chapter. I'm going to fill your harvest of righteousness. And if that's what you're pouring into, and that's where your heart is, I'm going to supply more seed. But if your seed is just to get a bunch more seed, forget you. If your seed is because you're investing and you're about this and you're about God's kingdom, man, I'm going to keep filling you. I'm going to keep providing for you as long as your heart is where my heart is. This is where I want to take us. Now, it says this in verse 8. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. I want you to compare yourself for the purpose of driving yourself, not for the purpose of discouraging yourself. Now in chapter 9, I do need to jump to chapter 9 real quick. And we're going to come back to this idea of enthusiasm and encouragement. It says this in verse 1. There's no need for me to write to you about the service for the saints, for I know your eagerness to help, and I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year, you and Achaia... We're ready to give. And your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. That's my favorite Greek word that's actually not in the Greek, but this, this word enthusiasm, have you heard what that means? You know what that means? Um, I'm going to sound like a nerd real quick, forgive me. Pheos, it comes from the word Theos, which means God. Um, And it means to be filled with God or really it means more to carry the essence of God. The English word enthusiasm means literally to carry the essence of God, to be filled with the essence of God, to have him on you and in you and through you. Your enthusiasm stirred them to action. Now look what he's doing. Look at the Macedonians and let them inspire you. And I want to tell you something else. What you're doing is inspiring them. And you're you're following in Christ's depths. You're growing in him. And that's the whole point. He goes on and he says this in verse 10. I do need to skip down there. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed. And will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness, he says. I want to enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. I want to talk about what verse I think he's coming from here when he says that. Um, He may not be, but if, if it's not, it's a great application. It's in Hosea chapter 10, verse 12. This is what the text says, and this is so crazy. Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap the fruit of unfailing love and break up your unplowed ground. For it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers righteousness on you. I think this is the verse he's coming out of, but I just wanted you to focus on that phrase. I want you to turn and start breaking up your unplowed ground. What do you have in your life where it's like, man, I'm growing in all these areas in faith and speech and knowledge and passion and love. But I want you to excel in this other area where you still have unplowed ground. You still have so much more to be doing. And I want you to push yourself. I want you to drive yourself in this journey to Christ likeness. It says this in Proverbs 19 verse 17. He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord and he will reward him for what he has done. Um, years ago here at Meadowlark, we were doing a study in the, book of, uh, in the book of Proverbs. And I remember when I read this verse, somebody else pointed it out to me. And I said, this is crazy. It says when you lend. When you're giving something to the poor, you're actually lending to the Lord. You're doing this for your Lord. And that's crazy to me when I think about that. Um, I want to th- I want to lift up somebody to you this morning. Um, and I mentioned him before. I don't know if he's here today. But there's so many people that I have witnessed in this room and this morning that I was praying about and thinking about. Uh, but when the Allsups came here, I cannot tell you how much they drove my spirit. Because I was just reading all these books that were criticizing church. Why isn't people doing more? Why doesn't metal our way? What are we doing? And all of a sudden you look up and somebody's just out there doing it no talk i'm just going to go do it i'm not going to talk about what other people are doing and what they're not doing i'm not going to i'm just going to go get to work and then all of a sudden you walk over there and you're like wow somebody who's not writing a book somebody who's not out there writing a blog somebody who's man he's just i'm going to go work and i want you to watch me i'm going to go work and i want you to watch i've seen him discouraged I've seen him down, but I have seen that boy, I've seen that woman, I've seen them walk on water. And that's all it takes in the body today. I promise you this, you are going to fall. You are going to watch me fall, and I've been here for six years now, and you've seen me fall. I know that I've let people down, I know that. But my goal is not, that. I know that I'm not going to be Jesus. I know that I'm not going to keep walking on water. But I want to see some aspect of Christ. I want somebody to see some aspect of their Lord in me. If just for a moment, and that is what these chapters are about, I can't reduce these chapters to, okay, we're going to talk about giving. I want you to look at what you're giving and give more. I think we rob these chapters of the gut and the heart of what they're about, if that's what we do to them. These chapters are about looking at each other and saying, I'm going to inspire you. I want to move you. I want you to watch what I do. And I want you to keep up. And then when I'm on my knees and hurting. I want to look up and see you. And I want to be inspired. Filled with that enthusiasm. And make me move forward. Um, This morning. I, I I want to close with a prayer. And I don't do that enough. But I want to just close with a prayer of thanksgiving. Because I thought of so many people. That when I came to this church. I looked up. And I said, my God, thank you for raising a bar in my life. I want to be like that person. I want to be motivated to do what that person is doing. And there's so many people in this room right now I'm incredibly thankful for. Because God is using you in my own personal life to move me forward. And for some of you that really need to hear this message. are those of you that know exactly what I'm talking about. When you can think of that time in your life where you were like... Ugh! Strong, moving forward. I'm excited, man. I'm getting up. I'm hitting my knees in prayer for hours. I'm going out. I'm willing to give. And you're on fire. And that fire is gone. And Satan hits you like a brick. And you just feel like, man, I tried and I failed. I want to let you know, man, that's the story of all of us. I know that feeling. I did P90X for a day. I know that feeling. Man, I know what that is. But I want to let you know, man, when people look up and they see that in you, we know we're going to fail, we're people. But if somebody can look up and they can say, I saw that person walk on water. I saw him do it. I saw it with my own eyes, man. I saw Christ in that person, and it changed me, and it motivated me. My prayer for us is that whatever one of those areas it is for you right now, where you have unplowed ground, if it's in faith, speech, knowledge, earnestness, zeal, love, mission, or giving, I pray that you would look at the ground around you and say, where is my unplowed ground right now? I'm not going to critique anybody else. I'm not going to compare myself to anybody else in an unhealthy way. But I'm going to look at what God is doing in my life and I am going to glorify his name while I'm on this planet. My God, I want to come before you. And I do pray um, uh, that this would just be an intensely personal message to every single one of us because only you, by your Spirit, can speak to our hearts. And I know where it applies in my own life, and we all do. But I just want to pray for your church today. We don't live in Achaia. We don't live in Corinth. We don't live in poverty. We live in a time where it's just so crazy different, God. And, and I love you for the blessings, and I thank you for the blessings, and I thank you for comfort. But I pray, God, that even in comfort, you won't allow our spirit to get comfortable. I pray that especially here, especially in a beautiful place, in a time where we feel like you've given us so much, you would cause our spirit to be just not at ease, that we would step out of the boat, step into embarrassment, Step into shame if it needs to. Step into whatever we need to step into to draw closer to Christ. I pray that for your grace in our life, that you'd show us our unplowed ground. You'd show us where you're leading us to next. And that you would keep us moving forward. And that you would keep us with a mindset that if we're not moving forward, uh, God, that we would just look at the people around us and be motivated. And if we are moving forward, God, that we would just carry people with us and inspire people. I want to pray for those in this body right now that are doing this, that have stepped out in faith, that are just doing this incredible walk. And some of, like me, I feel like I'm sitting in the boat watching them and I celebrate them. But I pray, God, that you give us, give us courage for those of us who are strong to lift up those who are weak, And I pray for those that feel weak to show grace to themselves and to find courage to step out of the boat again and again and again. I just pray that you would be glorified in your body once again. You're a shield around us. You lift up our heads. You carry us out of the water when we fall. And I just love you for your presence and I love you for your grace. And I love you for what you're going to do even now in people's lives because of your spirit. It's in Christ we come before you. Thank you for this gift, this grace. Amen. Let's stand and worship our God together.